Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Opus, an exploration of legendary records and their ongoing legacy. Not just their history, but how this music continues to evolve. We're opening the vault on classic records upon re-release, delving into their inner workings and their lasting impact. Maybe you're a longtime fan and wants to go a little deeper. Maybe you're a first-time listener and you're curious to hear more. Either way, you're in the right place. Find us at Consequence of Sound or wherever you tune in to podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with an interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Uh, hey, take a second before we get started to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now. We put out multiple interviews every single week, and you can keep up on Spotify, on YouTube, uh, Acast, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, make sure to hit the subscribe button. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Courtney Taylor, Taylor of the Dandy Warhols. Not only do they have a brand new record called Why You So Crazy, but it comes during their 25th anniversary. In fact, they're going to be taking the whole thing out on the road for a 25th anniversary tour. We'll head back to Portland in 1994 to see what uh, was going on when the birth of the band happened. Then, of course, we'll get into the ins and outs of that brand new record. Talk about the first two singles, Forever and Be All Rights. A little connection to Bowie's modern love and how, as the record's been called, a surrealist vision of an alternate reality. It's Kyle Meredith with the Dandy Warhols. Hey, what's going on? Well, let's start with the the idea of the 25th anniversary tour. I don't know if it was just chance that it lined up with a new album or, or you guys did it like this, but uh, I don't know, man. That's an amazing accomplishment. You know, most bands don't make it you know five years 25 let alone uh, how much of that's been on your mind right now yeah, well I, I get asked about it constantly so it's it's uh om- it's omnipresent truth that, the tw- that yes those days were 25 years ago 
And, and so I'm doing a lot of like, oh, my God, that was 20 years ago. I mean, I do that. I, I like doing that in interviews. I do a lot of interviews where I, I celebrate the big round numbers and we kind of get into them anyway because I don't know. Because, I don't know, because I'm a music nerd and I want to know all about that stuff anyway. But it's a nice time to, to, to time travel safely, I suppose. But- yeah. We did, a lot of the, we did a lot of that that one in New York. And I happened to be reading a book about New York in the 80s right now where it was very bleak. And it still was in the end of the 90s. It was a really bleak place. So that's, it's, it, things like that are really fun to like, God, I haven't thought about that in a long time. The reality of all the different eras that we've been through and the ups and the downs and who we've met. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. crazy. Well, to, you know, to, to look into 94 for a second, at least, you know, Portland 1994, like, it's just out of eyesight for maybe what was happening down the road in Seattle. Like, what what comes to mind when you think of Portland in 1994? Well, armpit is, is the first thing that comes to mind, and, and it really was, and it was super artsy and and fiercely still hippie in its politic. So I was in, you know, I was in high school in the 80s, and I had friends that were in bands and were squatting downtown and still making it out over the hill to the first kind of suburb out, Cedar Hills, to go to high school. And they were squatters. It was, I mean, it was so soft here. It, you you could live on 100 bucks a month. You could rent a room in someone's dilapidated old Victorian for probably 50 a month. And then, you know, you just have 50 bucks to buy rice and beans and vegetables and I mean, I knew people that were just living like that. It was amazing, you know, and, and there was a lot of a lot of just weird style, weird styled people, self-styled people, you know. And, I mean, that's that's what I thought. It, it was the era of of let's get weird. Like for an artist, that door yeah, was yeah. wide open. Yeah, there was no, there were no politics involved in what style weirdo you were. You were just a weirdo, you know, and hopefully you had a real cool look, you know, and talked real cool and knew about artsy things and. Man Ray or whatever, you know, you knew who these, who, you know, you were into Scorsese films, you know, and you were just a fringer artsy person. And there were just a ton of them here, like a ton for the, for the small size of the town, you know, less than half a million to have such an intense fringer art scene kind of dominate the whole public. I mean, it was, you know, it was what certain things would be front page local news, you know, certain art events or, you know, building the skate park and having bands play it, you know, indie bands on indie labels. It was front page news or, you know, any, anything happening. And so it was it was really a special place and it made for for us, you know, we were fully formed already who we were and what we are and you know we we didn't really do a lot of growing in the public eye we were pretty pretty firmly ourselves in our tweaky thing i just read an a review of our record where one thing funny that he I, he said is that in, after 20 of our new record you know it's mm-hmm. getting pretty great reviews so but after 25 years they they still seem to have have no no inkling of well or, or no no reason to sound to bother sounding like anybody but themselves or something to that effect yeah yeah and and i just thought god is that you know that's really great is that really what we've just been doing the whole time i guess i guess so i mean i try to avoid current trends but i never really try to we don't really try to you know have a sound or anything sound like ourselves or anything like that but 
I mean, I, I would say that, you know, there is a dandy sound and, and there's a lot of colors on that palette for what you've done with it. But right, right, you know, right. There is there is. the Yeah. 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 But yeah. I, and and I'll, I'll, I'll end our journey in 94 right here when I, when I was thinking, like, you know, what you're saying with all of the, you know, unique styles and everything that kind of came through the door and matched with, you know, what I remember a lot about the time was, you know, the the uh, the sarcasm and cynicism of that era. A lot of folks finally saw that, you know, how they were being marketed to. And and you know, that oh, right. sort yeah, of yeah. made its way into like that's how I see the Dandy Co- Warhols beginning. Grunge, pop grunge. Yeah, that, that's how I start seeing the you know how the Dandy Warhols kind of come in because you do have that you know the weird styles and 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 the uh, the psychedelic and garage kind of flashbacks in the music, but you also because of your lyrics, you know, you you, you really painted that uh, pretty clearly a lot of times. You know that uh, I, I see what you're doing to me. You know, it's oh right, right. Yeah, you know, actually, I never thought about that. That is a good point, is that I think, yeah, those records, they do, they are very of their time um, in the lyrical approach and content. They really describe the era, I think, pretty well and the mentality of the era, whereas they don't really, you know, they don't sound like Stone Temple Pilots or Chili Peppers or anything. They don't have a, you know, right. a trendy sound of the, the, they're not idiosyncratic of their eras, but, um, but yeah, they sure do, they sure, the, yeah, the lyrical content, God, I never really think about my lyrical content as a, as a what it is picture. I, I know that people think it's all about cynicism or have reduced it to that, but obviously not. You right. know, there's a lot. Of, oh, I mean, there's just a lot of self crucifixion, I suppose, and <laughs> and uh, um, you know, harvesting harvesting of, of regrets. As we move on to the new record, why are you so crazy? Does the album itself? Does this new one uh, find any moments to reference those years gone? And I, and I'll ask in the context that some artists, I think, it can always feel like you're always in competition with your past. No, I never really do. We never had a moment of our past that produced that kind of effect where, you know, because when Bohemian Like You, once that had already peaked and been as huge as it was, it was time for a new sound. Everybody was doing guitar rock three years after that thing came out. It was, you know, it went from nobody doing vintage guitar rock to all these amazing bands, do, you know, were getting huge, you know, the you know the White Stripes and the Strokes and Jed and the Vines and great recording artists and great artists. And, they, you know, so it had become, you know, commercialized and then all sorts of other bands start doing it and having one kind of one-hit wondery sorts of bands doing it or bands put together around one song to have that kind of sound and it got you know it gets commercialized so it was time to move on anyway and that's sort of the nature of i think my view of music is you know just is the sound cool or is it or not or does it sound like a bunch of other people's music that you're just imitating their overall sound you know which to me it it, it makes it i can't open my heart to that just the sound itself before anyone opens their mouth and starts singing or relating stories or lyrics or perspective through language, the sound itself has to seem so breathtaking and fresh and, and you know, beautiful and powerful to me that I will open my heart and listen to this person once they do open their mouth anyway. Well, you know, I, I hear a little bit of that on, um, so like on Forever. That was the first song that we heard from Why You So Crazy. And, and you know, I talk about you all painting with some different colors uh, and, and, you know, maybe it's the, you know, because once you tie uh, music to a visual, like the music video, and I think, you know, because there is a ghostly quality to, to what's going on musically in that song right there. Mm-hmm. 
one of the times, one of the last times you were here in, in Louisville, uh, you and I were talking about how with the birth of Spotify, it revealed songs that you previously didn't know were as popular with your fans. And I think the song was Sleep, specifically, that we were talking about. Right, And right. for me, Forever sort of has that lineage now. Like, oh, you guys like that? Oh, we can do that. <laughs> right. That, yeah. What is Sleep? Or what does um, Forever, what on earth does that sound like? I keep trying to, you know, because it started out with this the Dre, Dr. Dre string things. And then once it got the, the haunting, the haunted, you know, Pink Martini piano, um, it became sort of like Ghost Town. The specials Ghost uh-huh, Town a little uh-huh. bit. And, and then the vocals are, I, I feel like they're just straight up Damon Albarn, Gorillaz era, but, you know, snottier delivery and, and texture and just the sonic texture of them. We really, work, you know, worked this, worked the sound. So that, yeah, I love, I love that one yeah. is that little... the video turned out great and you know it looks really cool and i, I love that how abs- it's just an absurd you know series of pretentious metaphors <laughs> but it just looks so cool and i i got uh the Pander Brothers to kind of, you know, I just give them the, you know, you know I tell, walk them through the story, how I want it to look and feel, and then they just take it and go with it. They're these comic book illustrators that did early, you know, like, they're kind of pioneers in the, the 90s modern comic book, The Dark Knight, you know, Batman The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of that. And so they become really cool filmmakers. So, yeah, I, I, it was great to get them for that video. You brought up that little piano, and I was kind of wondering between the first two singles and also talking about Be All Right, it seems like that little piano takes a bit of a um, a starring role uh, on this on this record, at least out of the gates, in a way that, I don't know if you've used that before, but I guess I've never noticed it in the same way before. Yeah, I didn't really even think about it until Be All Right came out. And actually, uh, the video, I was, I was watching that and getting that 3D, that 360 thing to work. And then I went, oh, right. The two piano songs came out first. <laughs> so it actually just looks like that's our, our kind of our hook is there's like it's a big piano record. But I think that's the only piano on the record. <laughs> well, it, it also ends with On Dean, which is a solo piano masterpiece from 1918 that Hunter Nowak played, who has, I think he has a special one, like CBS or something, uh, or did maybe recently. And, uh, yeah, we were just, you know, smoking weed and drinking champagne and hanging out and having Thomas Lauderdale play. And Hunter is his boyfriend, and he, he sat down and started just laying out this amazing piece of music that is this uh, Ravel piece, 1918, called Ondine. So that ends, it's a you know, six-minute surrealist piece, which was, in 1918, I think, you know, They've been doing, you know, surrealism in general was, was really, everyone was gung-ho. So you had super talents like Ravel doing it. Because they didn't have, you know, delays or echo chambers or anything like that back then. So if they wanted to pr- produce psychedelic, trippy, opiated-sounding music, they had to do it with notes and textures and blurring notes together and swirling things around. And so, yeah, Ondine is an absolute, probably the greatest piano masterpiece I know of. So that we do have three piano pieces there. You know, what, what you're talking about, there's a, there's a line in the press release where you, I think it was you anyway, who, you know, somebody at least calls this record a surrealist visions of an alternate reality. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and when, I, when I look more at Be All Right, too, because... First off, to say the words "be all right" and then have a line that references a thousand points of light in it, 
Like, it's hard not to look at, you know, some possible political undertones or overtones, I suppose, however you look at that right there. Yes. Yeah, it did. It did from the first formation of it, the first inception of it, to the final done, written lyrics, rehammered over. Um, yeah, it definitely went that direction. I mean, you can't help but but want to put out some kind of a positive message. Right. What's a, you've taken it back though. I mean, you you took that and you did the flip. You you made the uh, you know the you you made the big small. You made it personal. I mean, you know, a thousand points of light. Suddenly, you know, I, I don't remember was that Reagan or Bush. Uh, I, I do forget about that one. But but you've taken it back to this romantic spot, as I can hear it on this song. And that's that's always a great trick. Yeah, that's Fathead. Fathead wrote that. Yeah, he came up with that whole blast of uh, lyrics in this one go. I think he recorded it on his laptop. On on a 14-hour airplane trip on GarageBand. And then, yeah, we took that one from there. So that piano is played in GarageBand on his laptop. Oh, wow. <laughs> you get a lot of... Yep, you know, fly a lot, and you can write a lot of... You got a lot of time for songwriting. How does the uh, how does the Church of Bowie's Modern Love make it into the record? <laughs> I have... Um, there's a moment where... where David did this, does, and one of those heroes, or I don't remember, one of that era, maybe kind of the station to station era, where he just lets out, but it's one of his hits, and he just lets out this roar, this operatic roar. And so, yeah, in the church, to the church, in our song, to the church, um, I just, I just had this perfect moment to do that, and it's hysterical, and it's in there, and it's really beautiful. I mean, it's really. It feels completely necessary um, at that moment to to like crescendo this trippy like maelstrom of sound that's been going on for all. It's it's kind of, you know that's a song where you you push how long you can just kind of send trippy stuff into the speakers you know like and so that one's kind of you know pushing it's pushing a pop structure you know to your patience maybe. <laughs> But yeah, and that just a crescendo moment there with, with uh, I channeled old David Bowie. God, it was it's great. I love I love this record so much. I just I just listen to it all the time. I just put this, my fat head, headphones on and I just crank it up and bong major and it just gives it's like everything salvation, you know, open mindedness, uh, redemption, love, loss. It's just everything's in there for me it's and it's sonically just like the best work we've ever done it's just such a freaky and you know emotionally and powerful experience but it's it's tweaky and clattery and rich and yeah it's something else man i mean there's not uh, been a dandy warhol's record that i've ever disliked ever you know i i love what you all do every single time and this one's been an exciting first listen oh great great yeah uh, i appreciate it man thanks for you know Give me the uh, give me the ins and outs of it all. Uh, good luck with the ankle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotta get that thing together. I was walking down a dark driveway on New Year's Eve, and that lo, there's a hole in the driveway, and so I went ahead and twisted my ankle pretty badly in it. So um, yeah, I gotta get. Apparently, it takes three weeks and to heal a, a sprained ankle, and in three weeks I get on a plane to go tour Europe for eight, eight, nine days or so. Perfect timing. So I, better, I better get on with uh, x-rays, therapies, and whatever else, and 
I don't know, acupuncture or whatever I got to do right right now, like literally get in the car and do it. All right, Courtney. Well, thanks again for the uh, the talk, and uh, and hopefully I'll catch yeah, one of these right. shows out there, man. Yeah, cool. All right, thanks, Kyle, man. Take care. See you later. That's Courtney Taylor Taylor talking about the new album from the Dandy Warhols, Why You So Crazy. Now, for you hardcore Dandy fans, I'm actually going to include two older interviews that I've had with Courtney. Uh, one was pretty recent, actually. It just came out in 2017. Between albums, they'd released a brand new single. And then a much earlier interview from 2012 when he'd put out a graphic novel called One Model Nation that uh, ended up having a companion album to go along with it as well. So that interview's from 2012. I'll also include that a little bit later on. But first, the 2017 interview as I was uh, chasing him down from a European tour. It's Kyle Meredith with part two of the Dandy Warhols. What we're really talking about is this one brand new song, Thick Girls Knock Me Out, which just sort of appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, well, we, you know, we're always recording and we're always working because we've always owned our own studio so um you know how we how how we arrive at records isn't like a traditional let's go in the studio make a record it's it's i think we have enough for a record you guys should we just finish this song that song and that song and make okay great that that feels like a record great um and so this was just a song and since we're touring europe we just thought we'd put it out in europe and uh, the way the world is so interweberly connected, you know, it just—you can't really just put something out in Europe. You just put it out, you know. Yeah. So. Well, the song itself, uh, you know, I, I'm not one for pushing an artist back to their earlier catalog, but it actually seems like it's one of the most reminiscent songs of some of your earlier material that I can remember lately. I, I just I hear that every day. Well, it sounds like your old stuff. <laughs> and I apologize yeah. for that because I. I, again, all right. I, I'm not I like one to push it. an artist that way. I I love our old stuff. I mean, I like all our stuff. I listen to I listen to my band every day. I, mean, I probably listen to more dandies than than all other music put together, really. But uh, you know, I mean, that's you know, that's why we do it, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so I have the perfect stoner experience. You know, just I like I smoke pot every day, so <laughs> I smoke pot and. I, you know, I like Zeppelin and I like the All the Laws and I like lots of stuff, but I listen to more of us, you know, because it is it is my perfect stoner trip. So um, this is just a goofy, giant, redheaded Irish obnoxious chick ten years ago punching me in the shoulder, getting being wasted, slam dancing to the Irish band that was, I mean, just being. The worst person. I don't even remember whose friend she was. We were we were in an Irish bar, and I think we were I think we were we were really. I mean, we weren't even in Ireland. We were like maybe in Spain. I think maybe. And uh, you know, it's just one of those stories that just lingers, and then one day it just is handy because it just falls into place with some music, and then it's then you have a song, and it's clever and kind of funny and. If you just fit some more words in there, like it's it's done, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of how that happened. And I I don't, you know, I just I'm so tired of ta- of just talking about Donald Duck, you know. Just everyone's just only talking about him, you know. Right. So it did seem like a relief, at least, to have something funny, you know, just something that isn't about something really smart and 
going to really work out all the problems or angry or bitching or just hopeless or any of that. You know, I just wanted, I just want, it just seemed like a, like what was necessary right now. Well, to close up on the song, though, I did have that other question about how the Beatles fit in with the story. I mean, you, of course, reference Paul in the, in the lyrics, but you've got Ringo and his birth name there stuck in the title. That parenthetical title. Right. Well, I always karaoke to uh, It Don't Come Easy. It's a great and song. And so, I, oh, it's, it's serious as a heart attack. I mean, it's really, it's, it's amazing. That is one of the best songs. Try it next time you're out at karaoke. All right. Just go for it. You'll, you'll find that it's easy. You don't have to know it by heart. It's just real easy. And it rips. I mean, it's it 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 plays itself man it's it's really fun to sing in karaoke <laughs> yeah and i just thought that um somebody's got to point out that paul mccartney put out a record called kisses on the bottom <laughs> what <laughs> what on earth that was the only reason that was i just is because somebody needed to point that out that went almost completely unnoticed just me and a few of my friends just went what the and uh, so I've been just dying to, <clears throat> dying to put that put that out in the public. Right. The 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 chick was um, the the giant bruiser was uh, pogoing around and bumping into people and ah to an Irish you know like a you know probably to to them covering the Proclaimers or something, <laughs> but um, I had to rhyme slam with, with the jam. You know, so I put eh, in the city. It's got a nice, you know, ring. It certainly wasn't. They certainly weren't covering in the city by the Jam right. Uh, right. at that moment ten years ago. And I, I wouldn't even remember what they were playing. But uh, but yeah. So it's you know just just fitting the rhymes together. Got the Jam in there. Got Paul McCartney and Ringo. I've also got I've also got the plugs in there. I miss that. Red Eye Number Nine is by by the Plugs. But that was just so I could get Sparky because uh, electricians, when you're for builders, they're just called they're called Sparky. And I was just putting something together with electricity in case anyone would catch the Plugs reference. Yeah. And I had to rhyme it with Starkey. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, when we started this off, you you you, you almost kind of wrote the song off like it's a goopy little song, but there's a lot going on in that, like. That's not just something that had to have fallen out of you. I mean, there's some right. It's a lot of thought. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like all good stupid things. They're (laughs) smarter than they seem. As long as nobody pours over it as a piece of of literature, as a precious piece of intellectual work, you know, I think it'll be fine. Yeah. Well, buddy, I'll let you get uh, on the bus there, but I appreciate you making this time for us. And uh, I, I really, I, I love this song. We're going to be playing it a lot, and I can't wait to awesome. hear what else comes from you guys. So, Thanks. All right. It was good talking to yeah. you. Yeah, Kyle, man. I'm glad we finally did it. Yep, we finally did it. Uh, we'll do it good on the next single, too. Man. Okay, cool. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Cool. You too. Bye. Courtney Taylor Taylor from the Dandy Warhols. Again, that's from a uh, 2017 interview. As I mentioned, there was an, a much earlier one that I recorded in 2012. It was the first time I'd ever spoken with Courtney, who had just put out a, a graphic novel a few years before that called One Model Nation. And then in 2012, he released a companion album to go along with it. So I'm going to include that interview here for you as well. It's uh, Kyle Meredith with Courtney Taylor Taylor. So, so your latest project, One Model Nation, 
you've basically uh, given life to this fictional band through uh, a backstory and and several levels of media. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did how did it come apart? What's the uh, what's the uh, the story on this this whole thing? Oh, you know, I guess it just sort of started out as a stoner idea. You know, hey, I know, you know what we should do, and then uh, and that was Donovan and I uh, had come up with the main the main idea of this you know German band that was involved on the same level the same kinds of things that um, in the late 90s hip-hop movies, you know, drugs, guns, cops, mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. So uh, somehow we had discovered very quickly in our conversation that we were both, as young teens, really into the German kind of late 70s, early 80s art scene, the Nina Hagen and, you know... Bowie and Iggy being there making records and um, all the things, all the things that that, that Sprockets thought was funny, mm-hmm. we we didn't think was funny. We thought it was really cool. <laughs> so uh, um, you know, between like you know Noi and Kraftwerk and oh, you know, just all sorts of things, Nitzer Ebb and mm-hmm. there's all sorts of stuff thrown in there. Gary Newman, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm came up with the <clears throat> the idea and then it just seemed like fun and it never stopped being fun and then after a while uh Donovan then had a had a kid he and his wife had a kid and then so he kind of dropped out and I, I sent the script to a friend of mine who's a very famous filmmaker and 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 all and pretty much a perfect filmmaker of, of about any style and he has not called me back since, and that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> All right. So that's how bad that was. Um, so I just kind of tore it down, took, a, took it on as my own sort of jet lag, wide awake, popping up a wide awake at 3 in the morning, you know, kind of thing to do. And uh, got, you know, just made it very serious. I also... Uh, Kind of made a hyperspatial timeline and um, geography for Germany, so it's not really either Germany, neither east nor west, and it's it's just sort of whatever I needed mm-hmm. uh, of both or either. And um, uh, personally, Star Wars and you know Lord of the Rings, Doctor Zhivago, these are my favorite movies. They're just epic. So I I needed to have some travel in there and some. Uh, so you know they go to London. They end up in Bavaria. They or the main guy does, and um, and there's Amsterdam in there. And so there's some travel and some movement. Um, it I also condensed the you know ten or twelve years of German politic, seventies late sixties history into you know three months. Right. And then I have the band disappear. Uh, you know the the big picture. This is I invented a German art noise band that disappeared in 1978, and that that was a you know a good idea. So that if this thing caught on, which for some reason it is, uh, I don't I didn't think there'd be that much interest in a fictional German art noise band that disappeared uh, 30 years ago or whatever. But um, uh, yeah, well I won't have to. It, it, it cannot become an, another entire job because like you. The band is gone. They can't go on tour. Right. 
So great. Um, you know, and and I certainly if the thing got huge and you know if if a movie comes out and it gets a you know big sort of you know funzy people that like these kind of brain teasy sorts of things end up becoming real fans so that we can sell out Madison Square Garden as our first show, mm-hmm. then I'll go on tour. I think. Huh. And there you go. I mean, it's all in there. You know, it's not the first time though that I mean. By far, I guess that uh, you know there hasn't been the fictional band, and I was trying to think of some of those, or even uh, you know, kind of band changes the world type of, of movies. Uh, Gorillas, the latest, and that did take off. I mean, uh, I think Damon Auburn was saying what, that. Would... What happened? The, the Gorillas have a movie. Well, not a movie. I'm just saying that was supposed to be oh, one yeah, one single record. Not... And yeah, now that's it's a whatever. That's like um, <clears throat> just a comic thing, right? They don't have stories or anything, right? They're just a just, they're just a bios, band, right? That then they had someone draw a comic. Sort of what? What is that stuff? What is that? What is that? Is there a name for that style? Little monsters and things. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a cool. It's a really cool thing. And a pair, do they do that tour? Uh, that they, they do tour, but it's just the like it, at first. I think it was holographic images or just big screens. But now it's just Damon Auburn and whoever else is guesting on the record playing uh, the songs live. Do they so show the creatures? Or yeah, I think they're all built into you know screens behind them. Right. Yeah. yeah, that just seems like a kind of um, like clearly they could get something going a lot quicker than I could, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably why our project is actually developed and has depth and has um, because we you know mm-hmm. we couldn't get anything going. Right. Um, I was thick into the Dandy Warhols thing, and anyone I described this project to thought it was cute, and I got a little pat on the head and a little. Slap on the butt and go have fun. I know. Get back there and Dandy Warhol it up. <laughs> See you in Spain or whatever. You know. Um, yeah, the gorillas thing. I don't know. I. That's it, kind of a. It's a music project that they sort of had half an idea right. for the other part of it. Um, but they really should be making movies and things. I. I guess they don't care. Is the is the bottom line is that if if I guess they did. They did care to to develop it. It would. I mean, they could have the best, the best the world has to offer for writers and you know. But I, I guess even Kiss themselves had the uh, the fictional backstory. So on the far other end of the spectrum of something like that. Mm-hmm. Right, and they did make a movie that uh, Phantom of the Park. Is that right? I, I assume they made one somewhere in my mind. I was told they made one, but I couldn't have went that deep on it. So. I was a. I was probably ten years older, eight years old. I don't know. I was at the right age to not care that it totally blew that movie. <laughs> I, I was. I was. I was. Wow. Wow. A kiss movie. Cool. We've all fell victim. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, so you picked this uh, post World War II era Germany, which plenty has been written about. Uh, to, so, to develop this, did you do you just know all the politics and the history at this point, or did you have to do no. extra research? Um, uh, uh, Donovan actually just got into it. I only cared really about the about the, the um, you know the music and the art scene. Mm-hmm. That was my thing, and then Donovan started unearthing all this stuff about the Bader-Meinhof gang and you know I, I mean if, if plenty has been written about it I sure have never seen any of it or had never seen any of it until Donovan started playing I didn't had no idea I'd never heard of it heard of the Bader-Meinhof gang I didn't know anything about post-war politics in Germany um, 
you know, except that they were a destitute nation, and I don't know what, and then something, you know, and now they're not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, talk about phenomenally interesting. They were a completely destitute and bankrupt nation after the war, mm-hmm. utterly destroyed. And within 25 years, they became the richest nation on earth. Are they? Uh, they were they by were? 1972, 73. No, I didn't know that. They decided uh, to not, more or less, and I don't know how accurate any of this stuff is, because frankly, I don't care. <laughs> but um, they had decided to not import things. Mm-hmm. They just, as a nation, they just, you know, we're going to make things and we're going to sell them to the rest of the world. Right. And it's not going to take long, and we're going to be a major superpower again. And so they did, and it worked. Um, you know, it would, and wouldn't it be fun if America did that? No. That would be so amazingly cool. Get all those factories that are sitting abandoned across the Midwest and the Rust Belt, and just put them to work, and let's make stuff and sell it. Instead of stripping our resources, our natural resources, we just suck them out of the ground, and then... Um, sell them to the Chinese. Right. And then they make them into something, and then we buy them back from the Chinese. <laughs> and we'll pay for shipping. You can just drop, sh- drop ship that stuff direct. We'll pay for it. It's just, it's ridiculous. Sit- sitting on this book is, you know, and making it and kind of looking at how this other thing went down over there um, was, was interesting. And it also kind of gives me a, a perspective of, um, you know, my mind being blown at how it just fat and lazy America is and um, you know not much not much foresight or about you know what what where we're going and and everything and a lot of there's a lot of you know Democrat mouthing blogging kind of you know super lefties you know screaming you know the end is near but it's not getting anything done that's for sure Mm -hmm. all they're doing is hyping each other up and you know, and a lot of correcting each other on blog sites. But, um, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting thing that it happened, and it sure makes for an amazing setting <laughs> for an art, art project, you know. Sure. And, and even can it change? Does it take an entire cultural meme at this point to make anything change? Yeah. I'm just surprised that after, you know, we um, crushed Germany... Uh, how how often in history has it happened that somebody goes in, absolutely crushes uh, a nation, and then just leaves them alone? Yeah. Obviously, the Russians couldn't do it. They, you know, they kind of well, we're, we're going to just oh, we're going to just stay. Here. No, you're not. Oh, we're just going to stay here. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> well, okay, we're just going to stay here. Oh, okay, you can have there. <laughs> Build a wall, East Berlin. There you go. Sure, and that's it. <laughs> Russia, part of Russia. Yeah, that was it was pretty amazing that we we that anybody left that country, Germany alone. We actually beat the hell out of them, and then you know rubbed their noses in their little dog do, and then we uh, and then we left. Yeah, that's opposed to now, which we you know uh, supposedly win a war, I guess, but then just stay there for another ten or fifteen years. Oh God, we yeah we'd be in there strip mining and. You know, pulling out nickel and oil and, I mean, you name it, we would have them, we'd have them bent to the nosy grindstone for us <laughs> right. at this point. We're so desperate for, you know, well, I guess, you know, we, when, when your government is actually a, a series of oil companies, um, but, you know, war is a little different now. That's true. It's very, very true. 
Well, uh, steering us back on path, I guess. Uh, um, yeah, get me going. Uh, <laughs> get, get me started. And have fun editing. <laughs> Are you kidding? Most of this will go uh, up on the web as uh, as the unedited. That's the fun. This is the fun stuff. Uh, the other stuff you've talked about a thousand times by this point. So. I sure have. <laughs> it's really hard to keep talking about it because <laughs> it's like, ah, really? Do I even sound like I'm in? Like I'm thrilled, or you know, about the. Uh, these words in this order anymore? I don't know. You're holding it together well. You are. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and one of the last things about uh, about One Model Nation, um, uh, was it hard to create music then that was supposed to be from the past? No, not I, absolutely not at all. I, uh, you know, we, we we knew in our heads kind of what the job description was. Mm-hmm. We don't want it to sound like it's from the '70s. We wanted it to sound like it could be. Or it might be, or questionably would be. Um, the thing is to make it as fresh as it would have sounded then. Right. Because uh, if you listen to Kraftwerk or Can uh, now, um, it doesn't sound that fresh. It sounds like really good, you know, electro. Mm-hmm. And it does, there are telltale signs of its age. So, uh, if, you know, I would come downstairs and, you know, we did it in my basement, made that entire record in the, my basement studio <clears throat> in Washington, and I'd come downstairs and listen to what was going on and, you know, letting the guys do, you know, pretty much all the work, because mm-hmm. I, you know, I own a studio and I'm in it all the time, so <laughs> it was a lot more fun for them. Mm-hmm. So I would come down, and if it wasn't sounding old enough or crusty enough, I would just you know, line up the bicycle frame and the iron chairs and the pots and pans, and I would start clanging on things, you know, and then, uh, okay, there, now it sounds old. So the dandies, they, they hit, you, know, you guys had success early on, but it looks like as you've progressed in your own career, uh, maybe it's less important to have that be-all hit that plays everywhere, and, and especially now with uh, One Model Nation, it, it seems like it's even more about the art than about... I mean, it was just uh, this off-the-cuff project. Well, you anyway. can't sit down and write a hit. I mean, certainly, the Dandy Warhols was never about, well, we wouldn't know how to write a hit. We didn't even know what the hell we are doing. Right. The Dandy Warhols' prime directive was to make music that we wish somebody else was making, but they're not. Right. We just filled in gaps, and that's why we never had any hits. We did not have one hit in America. In 12 years or whatever, we were on Capitol Records, major money, the whole bit. We did not have one hit. Every record we put out flopped and then got big a year and a half or two years later. So, you know, I don't know how any, I don't know why that, uh, the Dandies are, are successful. We have a, we're still a band. We still have a career. Um, you know, we still have influence and juice in this world. We tour. We put out records. I, I guess we just have our own sound. And if you like it, there is no one else that you can go to to get it so we once we have people kind of hooked on on our you know psychically you know kind of unique and emotionally you know pretty clear and potent trip there you know you're you're kind of in for life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so that's 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 how that worked out and we i definitely had a few hits um like in norway or greece <laughs> or australia mm-hmm. or and then a couple big ones in the UK. Those also were failures when they were released, laughed at, and uh, 
patted on the head and a little slap on the bottom and off you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. You know, but nobody listens to that kind of music. And then a year and a half later, whoa, re-release, woo, huge hit. And so, you know, hits are accidental in my world. Right. That's, I can't, I have no control over it. And uh, One Model Nation right now is what, like one of our songs, Transmission or East Berlin, is number three on the specialty radio chart in America. Number three in the specialty radio. Like, what? How, I, have, I have no idea how this world works. <laughs> None. But I, I do... Uh, I do know how studios work, and I know how mm-hmm. I know how I like music to feel, and um, and that's kind of the the way you should work. You you know how you want it to feel, and then how you get there um, is really is not is nobody's business at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just start going, and if it doesn't feel like, and you keep working and carving and pulling this out and add this instead, and you know, layer this and move that out to the side and oh, turn that part up and, and then, uh, you know, take a break, come back and go, God, that feels exactly like I want it. That feels great. And that's, uh, and that's generally how I have always made music because how else do you know when it's done? Well, now that you've done this, uh, this, uh, this multimedia project with One Model Nation, is it changing the way that you're making the next Andy's record? I don't think so. Um, maybe I'm just tired of uh, electronic stuff. The mm-hmm. Dandy's record that's going to come out in a few months is uh, we just finished, like, last week, final mastering, done. And it, I don't think it has, well, it, I don't think it has any keyboards on it. Okay. It is all guitar. It's a rock record. And then kind of slides somewhere into sort of shoegazy, gothy, gothicness maybe um, I'm being told it's our darkest record a lot and um, I like that you always have to hear it from other people yeah that's why I never ask bands when you know someone at a party or someone someone goes oh you should hear his band is amazing uh, you know oh really Dude, what's your band called you know uh, you know some 41 or whatever <laughs> no right, right, right. Um, but you know like oh we're called you know dinosaur senior or whatever like i never ask them what they sound like i always right. ask them what do people tell you you sound like because right. <laughs> otherwise you'll get some 41 going well we're kind of like the clash you know but mm. <clears throat> do you remember some 41 does anybody remember some 41 I, I i remember them yes i do yeah, yeah they were fun i don't really listen to modern music i listen to renaissance music that's kind of in my house mm-hmm. what i listen to i also have a medieval style house so it really is quite perfect to have. I don't think that's what I would have imagined at all. But uh, yeah. yeah. The way you talk about music and everything, uh, it keeps bringing me around to, because uh, you've just released more info on the new record and everything, called This Machine. You've been through the machine. And, and the machine All of different music. kinds of machines. Sure, but it, the machine of music, um, you know, for whatever it's been in the last 30 years, apparently there's always been a machine of music uh, mm-hmm. for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, I might guess that your title has nothing to do with that, though. Oh, when the title came up, it was that. It was the machine of the four people in the Dandy Warhols. It was the machine of, of you know, uh, the nature of nature. And, it, uh, yeah, it just, that phrase just really nailed it in so many ways. So I, I can't even remember what. Yeah, with the first connection from the phrase to my or our lives was.
was. Are you guys happy to still be going indie at this point? Uh, well, we we did a really really bad job of having our own record label last time, <laughs> and not only was it no fun, but we sucked at it. Yeah. So uh, I've heard that from other people. So oh they say the same thing. It's like it's a good idea when you try it. It's always a good idea in pra- in, in theory, I guess. But yeah. In, in practice, it's a bit a uh, bit harder. Yeah, it turns out we like to make music. We don't like to sure. uh, make emails. Yeah. We don't love that nearly as much as we like to make cool guitar parts, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, the dandies, we're, we're going to try the kind of the halfway in between. We've got a small label in New York that's part of um, uh, this group called Sony Red Music. and mm-hmm. I know them. Uh, the last they you know they they're the ones who who uh, put out Phoenix whatever a year or two ago mm-hmm. and and had mm-hmm. some great success with that. They're a coalition of independent labels. They're um, good people. I know them personally. They're good. Oh, people. great! Yeah. God, I'm glad to hear that because I really like them. Yeah. I just the most unpretentious, uh, you know, real music loving people mm-hmm. they just they're really into it they i think they have very good taste and i think and at the end of the day you, you never know if you're going to have success or not so you better just have a good time and like the people you work with and uh you know so you can kind of sit around like the last of the vikings you know just going well ah, you know ah, i guess it's not really working out anymore you know that was fun good job you guys you know or if you have great success, then you get to hang out with these people you like even more right. until the success does run out. Then you sit around the campfire and your, you know, your broken arm and your bloody nose, and you go, ah, damn it! Well, it was fun for a while, you guys. Good job, Vikings. Well, Courtney, uh, thanks so much for still liking what you do and continuing to do it. Um, yeah, we got that one figured out. We never really tried anything else. Yeah, well, it's... it's oh, it's, wait, no, 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 I must amend that. Um, okay. I just wrote a song for uh, Twilight that wanted a submission from the Dandies, so, uh-huh. um, so I wrote a song that has nothing to do with me or my feelings. <laughs> and, uh, and it's interesting. It's a liberating experience. And my thanks to Courtney Taylor Taylor of the Dandy Warhols, the new record, Why You So Crazy. And hey, if you haven't already, uh, please do hit that subscribe button. Uh, Again, uh, we put up multiple interviews every single week. We'd love to keep you up to date on all of those. You can subscribe at YouTube, on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts and iTunes and Acast and Podchaser. Really, wherever you're listening to this right now, there's probably a subscribe button in front of you. After that, please do head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern, where you can also find some bonus episodes of this series. Of course, you can stay up to date at consequenceofsound.net. You can find me at Twitter at Kyle Meredith, Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. That does it for this episode. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. 
visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.